live in this culture of doing just for the sake of doing because we have associated being worthy and being valuable with being in action. That was a little snippet from this interview with today's guest, Kate Northrup. I've been so looking forward to my conversation with Kate and about her new book, which is called Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time Management for Busy Moms. Now, Kate is a best-selling author, speaker, and mother who has built a digital empire alongside her husband, Mike Watts. She leads female entrepreneurs to experience less stress and more financial success through her Origin Collective community. Now, you can check that out at origincollective.com or learn more about Kate and her books at katenorthrup.com. In this podcast, we are talking so many interesting concepts from her second book called Do Less, as I mentioned including how we're living overscheduled lives full of busy work, how motherhood stopped Kate personally in her tracks and required that she change how she approached her own time management, how there is more than one way for us to perceive time. Oh my gosh, I found this bit of the conversation so interesting. And how women are particularly shocking at overgiving of ourselves. But Kate puts that down to our estrogen-dominant brain. Listen in for a whole heap more. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Kate, this is a treat to have you on Here to Thrive. I have been looking forward to my interview with you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And I, I think that you are the first Kate to interview me for this book. That is here impressive. We are. Great name. Because <laughs> I feel like I've had a couple of Kates on the podcast. It's always entertaining. I mean, Kate, Kate, back and forth. Yes. Yes, funny. <laughs> I feel like we're a similar age, so it must have been the generation of it Kates. It was. Oh my gosh. I think there I think there were like seven or ten Kates in my graduating class between the Caitlins and the, you know, all the all the ones. But I am just Kate on my birth certificate. So I'm actually Amy Kate on my oh. birth certificate. And I was born in New Zealand where Kate was nowhere near as cool as it apparently was in the States. So do less. It's out in the world. I love the premise. I want to talk all about it. Can right. we talk about what you are saying to the world when you say do less? Thank you for asking that question, because oftentimes people hear the title of the book and they immediately say, well, I, you don't understand. I can't do less. If I do less, my life will fall apart. My kids will go rogue. My business will fall apart. I won't be able to pay my rent. And what I'm saying is not to do less of everything. I'm saying to do less of the things that don't matter 
the less of the things that drain you, less of the things that don't move the needle, less of the things that irritate you, you know, less of the things that are a waste of your time so that you can show up more for the things that really do matter, that really do fulfill you, that really do get you results. I 100% am on board with this. And I feel like reading your book was just the, it's like the linchpin that brought everything together for me because I feel like I've known this, but like reading you explicitly talk through it, it's like, duh, how obvious is this? But yet none of us are doing it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think it's, yeah, of course we all know we should be focusing on what matters. Right. That's not new information, but there are strategies and research and a way of framing it that is new information that is not in any way common knowledge. That's actually counterintuitive because most people believe that if they want to be more successful, make more money, get better results, they need to do more. And so that's what they do. And then Actually, what I have found working with thousands of female entrepreneurs is that the more we push, the more we put on our plates, the less effective we become. You mentioned in the introduction of the book, Do Less, I think it was the introduction, about how soils can't keep growing things and that if they're in perpetual harvest, the soil itself actually degrades until it is producing pretty crappy vegetables, fruit, etc. I'm assuming that women and all humans are the same. Well, all of us have a body and our bodies are made of nature. We are carbon-based life forms, just like all of the rest of life on planet Earth. So we work in an unbelievably similar way to animals and plants because we are animals. <laughs> I love and, it. It's like a wakey, wakey people, just in case you forgot you're made of the same stuff as everything else in this world. And so we're not different. And what's so beautiful is when we look at planet Earth and we see the four seasons, you know, the Earth goes through these four experiences, different seasons each year. We realize that the earth is an incredibly abundant system. Now, humans have screwed this up and we have a hoarding problem of resources, but there are enough resources on the planet to keep all life going if we would redistribute them and, and take better care of them. And it's so amazing to look at that and realize, wow, the earth has these four seasons and one of them is winter and one of them is devoted to rest and doing way less. And actually the autumn is also in many ways a more inward do less kind of time. And their mother earth makes sure that all of her children, all the plants, all the animals gets what they need. It's an incredibly abundant system. And I love the quote from Lao Tzu, which is, Nature never rushes, yet everything gets done. Oh, it's such logical wisdom. But like you said, we're not living by it or from it. And I feel like we do live in the society that is obsessed with productivity. Where do you think it came from? I think it came from 
our transition from most people living as in an agrarian society where we were focused on sustenance and sort of the basic needs of your family and getting enough food, essentially making enough food to moving into the industrial age where now it's a it's a specific specialized job to grow the food and it's specific specialized jobs to do all these other things. There's actually a movement called the degrowth movement. There's a really interesting article on vice.com. If you do a quick Google about degrowth, that's D-E-G-R-O-W-T-H. <laughs> it's the degrowth movement where actually what these thought leaders, they're having conferences, they're getting together to talk about it. They are saying that our obsession with growth and productivity is massively harming the planet and and our our kind of obsession with always doing things is setting us back and that if we really wanted to save the planet and save humanity we would be doing degrowth which is working fewer hours and being less obsessed with producing all of this stuff that largely we don't even need you know all the plastic crap all the ready made fashion like all the stuff that we consume yeah that it that is somebody's job to do that but do we even need it and could our resources of time and energy be redirected elsewhere. So that was a bit of a tangent, but I think it's important to, to, to note that we live in this culture of doing just for the sake of doing, because we have a, associated being worthy and being valuable with being in action at all times, even if we're not asking what that action is even for. Oh, it just, it rings so true. I know that you didn't naturally start doing less. Did you identify as someone who would have been in that constant state of action before you became a mother? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And I still, by the way, I'm still working on this. So it's not like I wrote the book Do Less and I'm like, oh, I just sit around and do restorative yoga all day and then I meditate and then I read a book. I am, I'm a doer. I, I just am. It's part of who I am. <laughs> and I have had to temper that and becoming a mother forced me to temper my association of my worth with my productivity that I could sort of what I could show for the day, uh, because that is a losing battle, especially as a mother. If you read Do Less People, you'll hear Kate talk a little bit about her personal journey with doing less. But you mentioned that pregnancy basically just full stop required you to stop doing so much. It was wild. I, I'm a very strong person. I'm an athlete. I'm good at doing physical things. I always have been. And pregnancy, my first pregnancy was the first experience I had had where I couldn't overcome a physical limitation through just pushing harder. Oh. It was very painful. My second pregnancy was similar. In, in the third trimester, I was so sick and I broke a rib from coughing so hard. And I didn't write about this in the book because I turned in the book before I had my baby. Before you were coughing so <laughs> but, hard. So this is yeah, like, this is the best I finished the book before that time because it wouldn't have gotten done. Bonus edition. <laughs> bonus, bonus story here is that, yeah, my second pregnancy, that third trimester, I was, I could not do much. But what I realized during both of these times is it took a while to get there, but 
because I felt useless and I felt like, oh, well, who am I if I'm not capable? You know, who am I if all I can do all day is sit in the tub because my rib is broken and I have a giant baby in my belly and I can't do anything else? (laughs) And I realized, well, I am actually doing less outwardly than I've ever done in my life. And yet I am doing the most productive thing I have ever done in my life without even thinking about it, which is create an entire human being who will go on to live this entire life, much of which will have nothing to do with me. This natural wisdom of letting things take their course without you pushing, hustling, forcing, controlling, it was happening anyway. Exactly. You were talking then about uh, how our worth is wrapped up in our productivity. Oh my gosh, this is me and has been me. And I agree, I'm in the undoing of this. I know myself, it has been, I am only worthy if I make X amount of dollars. I am only worthy if I get through this amount of output. How did we get to this spot as women feeling like our worth is tied up in what we do and is doing less the way that we start to back away from that? So I think we've gotten here because it has only been very recent in recorded history that women have been valued for more than our ability to make babies or provide pleasure for men. Oh, how true is that? Oh my gosh. I just feel like we need to pause there for a second because it has changed. It's changed. And I'm so grateful to live in a time when my value is, is my voice and my writing and my words and my ability to change people's lives. And so, you know, so many other things than would have been the case even a hundred years ago, but certainly 200 years ago. And so I believe because we live in a patriarchy that focuses on the qualities of the masculine as the only valuable qualities, we as women also just have been programmed to believe that the masculine qualities are the valuable ones, which are happen being out there, getting from point A to B, linear, action-oriented, always about progress. It's a win, it's a win-lose philosophy. It's about competition, it's about individualism, me over we. And the masculine is beautiful. I love the masculine. I have a lot of masculine in me. I love it in my husband. We need it. We need that structure. We need the movement forward. And yet we've over celebrated it. And for women, we have, we live in a society. So we are now allowed, right? To be in the workplace. We are now allowed to use our voices. We are now allowed to step into power in more ways than certainly our grandmothers and for sure our great grandmothers. And yet we still live in a society that only celebrates the quality of the masculine. So we think that in order to have the kind of power and freedom that we for so long have craved as womankind, that we have to only embrace the qualities of the masculine. And that is what, is ha- what has us associating our worth with our productivity. And by the way, it's the same for men. It's not doing men or women any favors. And yes, I do believe that the way to counter this and to heal from this is learning to do less, but not necessarily sacrificing our results. I don't believe that doing less means then you have to go live in a tiny house and live on $30,000 a year and grow all your own food, though that's a beautiful life if that is what resonates with you. So it's really about tapping into 
what has us feel fulfilled and successful as opposed to chasing being on the race to nowhere, as Dr. Shafali Sabari says. The race to nowhere. I loved that little line in the forward. Checking your vitals. This is one of the the strategies you suggest in the book. And I was floored when I did this when I wrote down some of the most successful things that have happened in my business and looked at the actions that had led to that and realized how much other busy work I have been filling up my days with for the last four years, people. Like just busy work, not stuff that moves the needle, as you mentioned. And if you want to have a look at that exercise, you have to get do less people. Can we talk about the vital few and just that concept and how it can help you work out what it is that is actually the stuff you should be focusing on coming back to the idea of it's not about it's not about doing nothing it's about doing the stuff that matters so the concept of the vital few i got from darren hardy who's the publisher of success magazine and i heard him speak about this and it was i already knew it but again i wasn't applying it to my life and the concept of the vital few is that There are a few things, like we are talking three, max, (laughs) that you and only you can do. They are the intersection of your gifts and talents and the way you provide the greatest service to the world. And anything else that you're doing that's not those things in terms of your work life and probably also your personal life, I think you could have some vital few for both, but I'm talking about your work life right now is anything you're doing that's not your vital few is a waste of time. So it's the things that you and only you can do in your work or in your business and everything else we need to continually move towards the vast majority of our time being spent on our vital few because one hour spent on your vital few will move the needle so much further than 10 hours spent on things that don't get you results. So it's time is not an apples to apples comparison. The quality of your time and what you're spending it on is so much import, more important than the quantity of hours you are working. Oh my gosh. And I feel like it's just something that so few of us are actually living by. All the busy work I see with my coaching clients, and I work a lot more in the corporate space, less so with female entrepreneurs, but it's constantly the same conversation of like, let go of the annoying little busy work, find a way to delegate it. It's not really your role anyway, but look at what you're spending the majority of your time on. It's not the stuff that matters. Well, so I think this is a really important conversation. What happens in for what happens frequently for women? We are an estrogen dominant brain is wired for connection above all else. And so we look for connection and so in our work lives, we really want to be needed because it creates a sense of connection. We also as women really want to make other people happy and please them because it sources that feeling of connection. And so what ends up happening is as women, we do way more than our fair share because we are putting the relationship well-being above our well-being. So we end up putting other people's well-being first instead of our own because our brains are looking for connection. But 
I really believe that we need to mindfully overcome that tendency, not to say that we don't get to have connection, but I believe that the connections that we forge when we're being true to ourselves are so much stronger than the connections we make when we are throwing ourselves under the bus in pursuit of somebody else's well-being over our own. Oh my gosh, just one of those moments where I feel like women everywhere are going to be listening going, uh, mic drop, Kate, yep, here you <laughs> I know I am. I know I am. I think that leads perfectly into the idea of self-care or how we as women don't take care of ourselves. I literally just got off a coaching call right before recording this and I was talking about how I have built my, I don't even like the word self-care because of the, the connotations with it, but I have built the restorative practices that I need into my daily routines. My client preferred to call it fuel, how she fuels herself, because both her and I agree that we see self-care as indulgent and because of that, don't do it because it's like a reward. Mm, I think it's unfortunately uh, self-care has become commercialized. And when anything begins to drive an economic engine, it can get sullied and almost become passe and, and loses its meaning. Self-care is just the daily care and feeding of ourselves. It's it's this stuff that's essential. It's not a luxury. And I'm not talking about pedicures and bubble baths. I believe those are a luxury. I try to do them when I can, but I'm talking about self-care from the perspective of when somebody makes me mad, I take three deep breaths before emailing them back. Or I get a babysitter once a week so I can spend alone time with my husband. And so I don't think that self-care is a reward. Self-care is essential. And, and I think changing the name is great to what fuels you. That, that's wonderful. Whatever you need to do to make it something that you prioritize, because I, and this is, again, so many people talk about this, so it does sound cliche, but Literally, I never realized this more strongly than when I was nursing my first daughter and my milk supply was low and she was not gaining weight and I was having a really hard time emotionally and I realized, wow, if I don't take care of myself in this moment, I literally cannot feed my baby. Like she will not get what she needs if I don't get some rest, get some nourishment and uh, tend to my mental health because stress will also massively deplete your milk supply. And yes, of course, I live in a world where I could have fed her formula and that would have been a great choice. I didn't, I, we didn't get to that point, but it was never such a direct realization of how important self-care was when I realized, oh, literally, if I don't take care of me, I cannot feed my child. And at a different time in history that meant she would not have survived because I wasn't doing what I needed. And it was really profound. One of the quotes that stood out for me in the book, Do Less, was from one of your origin women. I quote her, she said, this way of being makes self-care part of the rhythm as opposed to the reward. How do we build in this, this rhythm? Or how do you encourage your women in your 
community and listeners to build self-care into just being part of the process? I love creating structure and systems and ritual. I found since becoming a mother that my well-being depends on having structure and my kids does too. My kids' well-being does as well. So when we set up our schedule for the week, I really recommend putting in the stuff that you need for you first, because there will always be somebody else who needs something from you. There will, you will never stop getting requests. So if you are waiting to finally go to yoga class or to finally get enough sleep or to finally read that novel you want to, you want to read until, or to finally, you know, commit to that hobby that you've been wanting to do. If you're waiting to do that until your calendar opens up, you, you will never do it because your calendar will never open up unless you reclaim the space for it. So creating a rhythm of self-care really just means scheduling it in uh, before you schedule the other things in. Because when you've taken adequate care of yourself, and I'm not saying a day at the spa every week. I mean, I just think that's too much. My self-care is like meditating in the closet for 10 minutes. I mean, I'm not a complicated lady. (laughs) I like to keep it simple. But when we build it in ahead, what ends up happening is the other stuff that needs to happen always gets taken care of. And then you automatically edge out the stuff that doesn't matter. Because if you've scheduled first the things that you need for your well-being, then the things that you really need to do that move the needle, then there's literally no more time for the other stuff and you stop screwing around and wasting your time because there's just, there's no space on the calendar anymore for it. (laughs) I love it. It didn't matter anyway. Uh, I started my meditation practice also in my closet. So I'm feeling aligned on that one. (laughs) I have graduated now to my home office, which is amazing, but you know, the closet worked too. The the closet totally worked. My closet is in my home office. So I like that there's like a double door situation. So I close my office door, then I close my closet door and then I really feel like I'm in my own space you're literally in your little sanctuary that's awesome yeah this flows perfectly into the concept of time I know you're a friend of Marie Folio and I did b-school I want to say about five years ago and she opened the first b-school lecture and here I am I've got you know a two-year-old and a baby not Mm. even two-year-old and the first thing she says is um Everybody has enough time. I'm not taking that excuse. You should have seen me yelling. Oh, yeah. Yelling. Like, no. We don't have kids. (laughs) Literally, I think that's what I was cursing her for. Like, come on. Like, I don't have what Beyonce has with a nanny and all of that kind of stuff. I was, you know, in my my fierce motherdom. Uh, My attitude around time has certainly changed since that point when I realized that I am accountable for how I use my time. And at that point, five years ago, I didn't feel like I had the same accountability around the hours and the way that I spend my day. And, and, and how I spend my hours has changed dramatically. I feel like it's part of the concept of doing less, but there's also this concept of how we perceive time that you talk about in your book. I saw you do an Instagram live on this. And at the start, I thought, mm, this might be a little woo-woo for me. Let me just uh, see what Kate has to say here. By the time you finished talking about it, I was like, I am 
all over this time bending thing like yep she is onto it because I've experienced that feeling of flow and immersion where you feel like you get so much done in a shorter period of time can you give us a brief introduction to time bending absolutely so This is based on Einstein's theory of relativity, which is essentially that time is relative to both the mass and the speed at which an object in space is moving. We are that object in space. (laughs) So when you are applying this to your life, you need to know there are two types of time. There's chronos, which is chronological time. It had us both show up for this recording appointment at the same time, and it serves us beautifully in life for getting things done. Then there's Kairos. And Kairos, this is the ancient Greeks, came up with this. Kairos is timeless time. So the difference, the best way I can describe it, is the five minutes you waited in line for your coffee this morning versus the five minutes you held your child or your niece or nephew in your arms for the first time. You weren't tracking time. With the, with the baby, it was timeless. It could have been 30 seconds. It could have been three days. It didn't matter because you were so present. When we are on our deathbeds, we will be thinking about the moments we spent in Kairos, in suspended time. And by the way, we get our best work done when we're in Kairos. And we can set up the scenarios for us to be in Kairos more often by focusing on our vital few, paying ourselves first with our time, so doing the vital few during our best hours of the day. For me, that's 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. for what you find out for yourself. And also by being present and not being distracted and prioritizing how our body Feels. So there's a lot in there and there's so much more I could say on this, but I just want you to know that if you want to have more time, you really literally are the source of your experience of time. I understand that time is ticking by as we're, as you're listening to this, but when you fully inhabit the moments you're in through doing your best work, through being really present, through being there wholeheartedly, through feeling your physical body in the moment, like literally feeling all of your senses, you do expand time. And from a work perspective, you get more done. There's a beautiful book called Flow by Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, which is all about getting in this state. Um, There's another one called Deep Work by Cal Newport. There's so much beautiful work on this, Um, but that's essentially time bending. It's diving deeper into the moments we have to focus on the quality of them instead of the quantity. I first of all can't get over that you can say the flow author's name. I have never been able to do that. Um, I practiced a lot. You did that with such ease. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just stuck on that. (laughs) But don't ask me to spell it. Yeah, wow. I think we've all had those moments, you know, and this is when I said, when you talked about time bending, I was like, oh, Kate, this sounds a little woo woo. And then when you spoke about it, I was like, I've had those moments. I've had those moments when I've been playing with my children and it's felt like an hour and I've looked over and it's been five minutes. And I'm like, 
how did that focused attention feel like an hour of magic with my kids and I've only been here five minutes and how much do they just crave those moments with us that actually may not even take up that much of our day you know those precious moments because kids live in Kairos Kids live in suspended timelessness. And so they just need us to join them there a few times a day. It doesn't have to be ours. It can be just like you said, it's quality over quantity with our work, with our kids, with our spouses, everything. One of the things that I know as a young, or not, I wasn't even that young, but as a mom of small children, I should say, was I struggled a little bit with motherhood at the start, or a lot, I should say. I struggled a lot. And my cell phone became a giant distraction for me, a way to zone out with the emotions that I was struggling to deal with, in all honesty. And I know you touch on technology in the book as well. I have become so much more accountable with it because what I would just say is a little reminder for all of you listening out there, and you probably know this already, but how much time are you wasting on technology? Oh, it's very sobering to actually look at the screen time report. Don't you love the way you have those stats now? I'm like, ooh. (laughs) Yeah. And I just want to, you know, focus on it being a downward trend. Yes, I agree. It's something that has really helped me reclaim so much of my time as being more accountable around how I'm using my phone. I ask everyone, Kate, a bunch of intermission questions. Are you ready for yours? Yes. Are you a morning person or a night person? Morning for sure. Always have been. Always have been? Is this like, do you get up before your kids now or do they? I up? would love to. I'm still pretty sleep deprived. So my kids are still my alarm clock because they get up at about six. I did go through a period this winter where I was waking up to exercise before they woke up. And that was great. I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> Perhaps I'll go back to it. Do you feel like that you stopped doing that because in reality your body was sending you different messages? Like it wasn't really serving you anymore? You needed more rest? Yeah. Sleep is my spiritual practice. I wrote a chapter on sleep and how critical it is to our physical, emotional well-being, to our productivity. I will, I will get sleep pretty much over everything else. It's funny you say that because when I first met my husband over 10 years ago now, I told him that sleep was one of my hobbies and he said it didn't count. I was like, hell yeah, it counts. Yes, it does. (laughs) Totally counts. Speaking of sleeping, what is on your bedside table at the moment? Can you remember? Yes. I have my mom's one line a day journals. So I have two of them. I do one line a day for each of the girls and I have since they were born, just a little memory. And then I have my new moon journal. So I write down my new moon intentions every new moon. And I think I have a novel that I like read every now and again when I can't fall asleep. Oh, so you use a novel to kind of zone out? Yeah. If I read something that's like a business or a personal development book before bed, I get all wound up. So I really (laughs) need like a novel or a memoir. Although sometimes I get super sucked into those and then I don't go to bed like I want to. So I actually don't usually read before bed anymore. It's just just in case you need an emergency Mm -hmm. distraction. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite self-care activity? Sleep. Love it. Done. A book that has touched you at an important point of your life. Do you have a favorite book that, because I feel like you can ask about a favorite book, but the reality is when did you pick up a book right at the right time for it to mean something to you? 
I read last year in 2018 a book called Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And this book touched me so deeply because she talks in this book a lot about biomimicry, which I had never heard of before. But it is the practice of looking to the natural world for solutions to our human problems. And I realized that's what I was doing with all of my material, with my current body of work. And I just didn't know there was a word for it. And I absolutely love her. She's a social justice activist and the book really changed my life and the way I look at my own work and also the world. Biomimicry. It's so, I love it. I love it. And, and having read do less, it makes so much sense that that's exactly what you've done. What is a life lesson that took you a long while to learn? Slowing down. <laughs> Do, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I'm only laughing because I'm like, yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel like this is a lifelong lesson for me. Do you yeah, feel yeah. like it's one that you're going to continue to be dancing with for a little bit yet? Yes. Yeah, I, again, like I, the reason I wrote Do Less is because I am addicted. I have been historically addicted to doing too much. And so I need this message. And so I wrote this book because I know I'm not special. And so, yeah, so I would say slowing down, doing less is my lifelong, one of my biggest lifelong lessons. It's about, it's really about, I'm an Enneagram type seven um, and Enneagram type sevens are the enthusiast. Uh, We say yes to things way too easily. And so my lesson has been about sobriety, not sobriety with substances uh, for me this time around, but sobriety with my time. Oh, what is one thing in your day that you can't do without? Hmm. Yeah, coffee. <laughs> I, love I love coffee. I love coffee too. And and so when people are like not not friends with the coffee, I'm like, but I love coffee. That's not going anywhere. How would you describe the soul, Kate? Oh, the soul is the eternal part of us that is the truest truth of who we are. And it is beyond our physical experience this time around, but we can access it through our bodies. I know you mentioned in Do Less that you believe in reincarnation and that we get a chance to do it all again. Have you always believed in reincarnation? Yeah. As long as you can remember. I just... For me, it makes no sense that we would just randomly come here and learn all these hard lessons and go through these experiences and then just not exist anymore. It just makes no sense to me. What does fulfillment mean to you? Fulfillment means being of service and finding as much joy as possible in the process. Oh, being of service and finding as much joy as possible in the process. I think that's a great definition. Oh, okay. A couple more questions for you, Kate. What has doing less meant in terms of how you have felt personally about life, growth, success, or all three? How has this changed your life? It has deepened my life in really profound ways. It has deepened my relationships with my kids. It has deepened my relationship with my husband. But most importantly, my not most importantly, I would say equally as important, is that I feel finally like I am doing the work I am meant to do. I'm sort of living my dharma, if you will, where I just am really doing the thing I'm meant to do. And that influences my mothering. That makes me a happier woman. 
And I could not have found that work. I could not have really gotten in touch with my calling if I had kept running around all the time and staying so busy because I was muting the voice that I needed to hear. I was sort of muting the call. Oh, I think that's it. The crazy busy is a form of numbing and it stops us from getting to our truth. Yeah. Whoa. If you could leave our listeners, Kate, with just one thing that they could consider or ponder after listening to this episode, what would it be? That you are already enough right now and you don't have to do anything to make it so. Do Less and the concepts inside it really were eye-opening for me in so many ways and as Kate said so much of it is common knowledge but we're not living from it. I should add that the book goes into a lot more of a conversation around the cycles we live in and we didn't really touch on that today but if that interests you definitely grab a copy. But really I think the takeaway message here is we need to be thinking about the quality of how we are spending our time, not just jamming more things in. What are we spending our time on? If you want to learn more about her work and how Kate works with entrepreneurial women, you can head to origincollective.com or her personal site, katenorthrup.com to see the other great things she's doing in the world. I hope this conversation opens your mind a little bit more and helps you consider how you might be spending your own time and how you could make your life perhaps a little bit easier. If you did find this conversation useful, it would mean so much to me if you could take a moment to leave a review in iTunes and subscribe. Subscribe so you don't miss more awesome episodes. Tell your friends too. That really helps the podcast out thanks so much for being here beautiful people and until next time keep thriving 